Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, welcome to the midweek edition of Football Social Daily. I'm Jim Salverson. It's Wednesday, the international break is done and once again we can start thinking about the return of the Premier League this weekend and particularly how those new boys, Dean Smith and Steven Gerrard, will be getting on in their first games in charge at Norwich City and Aston Villa, respectively. That said, there is one more bit of international business to box off on today's podcast. Now the World Cup qualifiers are done on today's show, we're going to try and pick our winners in Qatar next winter and how much chance do England stand in the Middle East sun when it rolls around to next Christmas. We'll be talking about that shortly on Football Social Daily. We're also going to be looking at the transfers doing the rounds on the back pages of the tabloid newspapers. Who could be going where as the January transfer window creeps a little bit closer. But we're going to start off talking about Gary Hoffman, who's a name you might not instantly recognise. He's the current Premier League chairman and it looks like he's about to resign from his post over his handling of the Newcastle United takeover. Quite pr- appropriately to talk about that on today's podcast, Marley Anderson, the o- well, probably unlike Gary Hoffman, delighted by the Newcastle United takeover and not thinking about resigning anytime soon. Hey, Gary Hoffman's a great guy. He's, uh, <laughs> he he looked the other way when everything uh, everything was going on and completely uh, on his chips when it came to uh, coming up with a reason to to uh, stopping things. So yeah, long main content. Never heard of him, Mike. Literally, when you sent the notes over this morning, I was like, who the hell's that? Well, he's only been in post-18 months, so he's not been in the job a huge amount of time. So we've got Marley Anderson, supporter of Newcastle United in Manchester, a supporter of North East football in the North West. Also on today's podcast, we've got a supporter of North West football in the North East. Leeds fan, based in Sunderland, Ian Brennan. How are you doing, Ian? I'm good, thank you. Yes, I'm uh, basking in the glory of... um... Derby County being given yet more points uh, deductions, which is uh, always a welcome way to start your day if you're a Leeds fan. Uh, and, uh, and of course, looking forward to discussing the Newcastle situation, which nobody can unpick. Absolutely unbelievable no. what's going on. Well, let's get stuck into it, shall we? Because the expectation widely is that Gary Hoffman, the man that many of us hadn't heard of until a couple of weeks ago, Premier League chairman, is set to resign over his handling of the Newcastle United takeover. In general, the 19 clubs throughout the Premier League, everyone apart from Newcastle, are pretty upset by the whole deal and are putting pressure on the Premier League to remove Gary Hoffman or for Gary Hoffman to set down. That looks like essentially is what's going to happen here. 
Marley, I'll start with you because I think you'll give a different answer to Ian on this one. Do the Premier League clubs, do these 19 clubs that are objecting to the Newcastle United deal have a right to be upset? Do they have a leg to stand on? <laughs> uh, they can be upset, but they haven't got a leg to stand on, in my opinion. Um, you can be upset, you can do what you like, but ultimately most clubs in the Premier League um, are being quite hypocritical about this. Um, we've seen Manchester City refuse to vote in that um, in the uh, the commercial deal ban that went went mm. ahead about seven eight weeks ago. It would have been slightly hypocritical for them yeah. to vote, wouldn't it, against it? And they obviously don't want to support it. Exactly. You can understand why they abstained. Yeah, and there's there's countless other clubs that voted against it, despite also having, um, you know, uh, being hypocritical themselves. Like Everton, for example, uh, I think USM Finch Farm, they call their training ground, and USM is owned by, um, the, oh, I forget his name, the Russian fella who's uh, funding them, basically. Um, him and Moshiri uh, are funding Everton, and they've got the same thing. So it, the, the whole situation is full of hypocrisy, and you can't really come at it from a holier-than-thou, whiter-than-white sort of situation where you're going, well, we've never benefited from any funny business or dirty money or whatever because the world is, is full of it. No rich person in, on this planet has, has got to where he is without cutting a few corners mm. and spiting a, you know, cutting a few noses off to spite the faces and that, that kind of thing. It's, uh, it's everywhere. Which, so. Unfortunately, in the case of the... Saudi Arabians is sometimes literal, which is the problem. <laughs> that is it, and I, I'm not. I'm not like. Uh, I've, I've, I don't forget the fact that what our owners have done is worse than what anyone else has done. Mm. However, do you think it is a objection over the finances that are involved and the competition that Newcastle United will eventually provide in the yeah. league? Do you think that's the foundation for the Premier League being upset because they wrap it up in this moralistic stance about the? Saudi Arabian government and about human rights issues but then it seems to always come back to the money and the commercial sponsorship which mm. they are two separate things aren't they yeah because basically this whole situation the way i understand it is that Newcastle have got loads of money but that's not breaking any rules so they're looking at where the premier league where there's a potential gray area and all the other 19 clubs or 18 if you if you discount man city um, are all saying, I know that's you know we can we can stop them on on commercial grounds. We'll we'll hide behind that red tape and we can we can slow their their pumping of money into this through commercial deals because there's a lot more rules around commercial deals and where you get the money from and and there's there's um, rules coming in to stop it to slow it down in future like um, clubs having official pillow partners and tire partners and stuff like that and it's just another way of sort of. Uh, Money, money laundering, basically. Because why does a club need an official tire partner when you know they're they're a football club? What what they got to do with tires? Mm. Why do they need that and all that kind of thing? Wine partners and stuff and all the rest of it. So I think the the people are coming in, uh, the clubs are coming in, saying, "Well, we've got most chance of stopping them um, because of the uh, if we go down the commercial route because morally there's there's not a test. The owners and directors test doesn't take into account." the moral track record of the people that are buying your club. Um, maybe it should, but that was something that should have been put in the place when the Premier League began in 1993. Mm. Um, and it wasn't. And then we see, you know, time go on and, and what have you. And then uh, Abramovich coming in and, and 
paying to win with Chelsea and then Man City with uh, with Shin- uh, taxing Shinawatra and then the... Well, let's um, not forget Blackburn Rovers as well. This is... What's been, that? Blackburn Rovers as well. This yep. has been going since the beginning of the Premier League. Exactly, it's not yeah. a new thing. Jack Walker's steel millions won them the Premier League and now they're in, you know, League One. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, back in the Championship now, aren't they? But, you know, same thing. It's been happening for years. So no one's really got a leg to stand on from where I'm, from where I'm seeing it. Let's bring in Ian here because he could have a remarkably different view. Obviously, you have a vested interest in what Newcastle United do from here and you're going to defend to a certain extent their right to have this money invested and spend the money. Ian as a fan of a different Premier League club and being based in Sunderland, I'm sure, is a different view. But on the morals thing, Ian, should the owner's test, as it exists, judge a potential owner's morals? Because we see the human rights issues in Saudi Arabia and it does leave a bad taste in the mouth. But if you're going to say, well, only morally upstanding people can own a football club, that becomes a very difficult thing to judge because morals are fundamentally subjective to the person who is viewing those morals yeah um i think the issue is that the rules that prevent someone from owning a football club regardless of of who who it might be they're not thorough enough and maybe they were at the time and they've been tweaked a bit but they didn't really take into account that potentially, you know, back in the 1990s, so I think they were last revamped in 2004, I think I was reading, um, when um, there was some other owner that they were trying to block, and so they, they tweaked it. But they didn't really take into account at that point that maybe a country might want to take over a Premier League football club. I mean, at that point, it was probably, you know, people like Roman Abramovich coming in who had bucket loads of money and it was sort of to stop, you know, oligarchs from from uh, running riot across all these clubs and, and all that kind mm. of thing. Whereas now you're talking about entire nations and really rich nations who are wanting to get involved. What it comes down to, I think, is that they... And this is very much now the horse has bolted and you're trying to bolt the stable door, you know, and it, and it was out there from the point that the Man City takeover happened in 2008. That was, should have been the, the alarm bell. And so for the last, what, 13 years, nothing's been done about it. And slowly, and we've seen what's happening elsewhere around the world and nothing's been done about it with PSG and, uh, and, and things like that. So it's been coming and nobody's done anything about changing the rules and now it's happened and it's like whoa hang on a minute these rules aren't right and we need to find so like you say you can't do people morally what it comes down to is degrees of separation because as long as you don't have influence outside of the UK in acts that are criminal in this country then you're fine Mm. what it doesn't look at is yeah but who's who's your mate when you get back home you know, that kind of thing. So provided, say, North Korea set up a foreign investment arm operating without input from Kim Jong-un himself, would they be welcomed into the Premier League? Because it's the same thing. You know, Rwanda, they've already got boots on the ground with Arsenal. Not exactly got the great uh, greatest of human rights records. But as long mm. as the president's not involved and somebody else is running this foreign investment arm, same for them. So it, it, it comes down to that. It's the, it's the degree of separation between Saudi Arabia and PIF. And this money, this, this investment fund, and it's been quoted, they've got 700 billion and the richest club in the world. Newcastle, I think in reality, I read that they're not the richest club in the world. They're rich, don't get me wrong, they're rich. But they're not, um, they're not as rich as made out because this investment fund covers a whole load of stuff. Like they've invested in Uber, um, 
TikTok. Yeah, know, it's like any takeover. Yeah. You look yeah. at the you look at the person who's taken over. You look at their overall wealth and whatever. Like you look at the guy who's just come into Man- um, West Ham at the moment. He's bought twenty seven percent of the club yeah. for whatever, and he's worth four billion pounds. That four billion pounds includes the ownership he has of Sainsbury's. It includes the ownership he has in other assets. It's not. He's not going to go right. Is my four billion quid do with it? He's not going to spend it all on Seth Johnson because that would only happen at Leeds. Um, <laughs> but you know, uh, but it's it's that kind. Of, so, but you know, that how much money is is, is by the by? It, it's 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 this degree of of separation that mm. wasn't taken into account. Now it's happened. Everybody's bleating about it. Would I be? Um, in the same boat as Marley, if I mean, because it was rumored and may well still happen. Who knows? It was rumored last year or the year before that um, QSI were, um, you know, waiting to take over Leeds should they get promoted to the Premier League a couple mm. of years ago. And now, as it is, they went down the route with the San Francisco 49ers, who are the major investors in Leeds now and are looking to increase that stake by all accounts. Now. Obviously, San Francisco 49ers are going to pose less questions than QSI coming in. But, um, you know, if if QSI came into Leeds, of course, I'd be delighted. (laughs) Of course Mm. you would. But are they any better? No, not really. So it's, um, you know, but it's how it's going to go. And unless they nip it in the bud, then more nations are going to take over clubs and it's just going to be like, you know, um, a domestic World Cup pretty much because the, the the pots of money floating around elsewhere in the world are, are quite eye-watering and and you know that's that's the only way you can block it because if if this rule of separation went a couple of layers deeper then of course Newcastle's takeover would fail about 20 mm. times over by all accounts it's really then, difficult though isn't it to kind of say where that separation is going to lie because yeah. if we've got if you've got an investment bank account or if you've got an investment fund or something like that if you've got some kind of savings pot Chances are, if you dig deep enough into your savings pot, you are making money from some probably morally questionable deals that are happening around the world, whether it's an arms deal or whatever. There is something probably, if you dig deep enough, that you would question, you wouldn't like. But does that mean you should be stopped from buying a Premier League football club, should you have the opportunity? So there has to be a line somewhere, but it's very difficult to work out where that line gets drawn. I think it depends maybe whether it, you know, if you have got the state sponsorship as as clearly Newcastle have mm. where that state sponsorship actually is coming from where is the public investment fund money coming from you know that's the thing mm. you've got the public investment fund that's separate but who, who put the money in the piggy bank you know maybe it's like looking back to that and I think if you trace back to who's putting the money in the piggy bank then you realize that uh, they're uh, not entirely overly convivial over everything <laughs> you know what I mean there is no que- there is no question I think that Hoffman's handling of the situation has been poor from the original blocking to the court case overturning it to the handling of the questions over how commercial deals are structured in the Premier League but how do we think his time is going to be remembered Hoffman will he even be remembered it's been a bit shambolic we've had the Newcastle United takeover we had the European Super League proposals that was under his watch as well it's hard to say he's had a successful time in the last 18 months, isn't it? It is. Um, we've even had the uh, sort of rumours coming back about a, a 39th game or a game being oh, played yeah. abroad and stuff like that. And I don't feel like the the chairman of the Premier League is a particularly hard job. Um, and I'm sure it is. However, if you keep everything the same, nobody's really going to notice anything. Like, 
it's not failing. Things could be improved. Things could be, uh, uh, you know, issues like safe standing could be um, sort of acted upon and improved a little bit and pushed along the, the, the pipeline a little bit. But ultimately, nothing's really that wrong with football. It's not broken. Um, so if you're if you're the Premier League chairman, like if I was there, I'd just be like, right, everything's ticking along quite nicely. I'm just going to sort of sit in the shadows and collect my, uh, my my fat wage every now and again and and be happy with it. But then he's come in and he's had probably quite a rough deal, probably nothing to do with him um, sort of per se. Like it just it had to drop on someone's desk and it happened to be Gary Hoffman. <laughs> And he's gone. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ! Like, could you, <laughs> could could you could the Newcastle takeover not have come at another time when Richard Scudamore was here or David Dean or whoever was uh, was was knocking around before them? So it's he's got to have had a bit of a rough deal. Um, the Super League was a shambles. Um, the Premier League um, trying to reject Newcastle despite having no grounds too was was also a bit of a shambles. So. Ultimately, it's all going to end in a bit of failure for him, by the looks of things. Um, but that's that's the job you sign up for. If you things can happen like that, like look, it happens in in politics. Sometimes things happen out of your control, like uh, COVID, for example. Like no prime minister would have had any like idea that a massive pandemic was coming, and everyone would have struggled to deal with it. It just happens that our prime minister did probably worse than anybody <laughs> in the previous history of the UK politics, but. It is what it is. Like sometimes things just come along and you can't really deal with them, and that's probably what's happened with Hoffman a little bit. But uh, the next guy, at least, will look better because he isn't the guy who who did the uh, the stuff that Gary Hoffman did. You're saying basically he's like the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer of Premier League chairman. He's making whoever comes next look good. That's the theory. Well, I'd more I'd say more Mourinho because then Solskjaer <laughs> came along and, and just didn't just didn't do anything really, but stabilised everything didn't he yeah, <laughs> so that'll be the next guy well the news isn't announced yet that Gary Hoffman will be stepping down as Premier League chairman but it is expected to be happening at some point today next on Football Social Daily we are going to box off the international break the World Cup qualifiers bar a few playoffs have been decided so we'll be trying to pick a winner from Qatar 2022 we'll do it next on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. One last dribble of (laughs) international football (laughs) to get out before we can box it off and get back to the Premier League. And it involves the World Cup 2022 Next winter, it's going to be happening in Qatar. We pretty much know who's going to be there now after the qualifiers. The results for Wales and Scotland over the weekend. Wales drawing with Belgium, Scotland winning 2-0. That means they can still qualify, but they have to go via the playoffs. Those playoffs include the likes of Portugal, Poland, Italy. So some pretty big names that could potentially miss out on Qatar next year. But we know who's definitely going to be there at the moment. So, Ian, Marley. Who do we think is going to be there for World Cup glory next winter? I'd like you to pick, if it's okay, an obvious winner, because there will be a few, and then maybe a potential outside bet as well. So let's start with the obvious, Marley. Who are you backing to lift the... It's not called the Jules. What's the World Cup trophy called now? Um, Just the World Cup. 
Uh, is it just called yeah. the World Cup trophy? Is it just it, called the World Cup? Yeah, it's not okay. George Germain anymore, no, is it? Because that was the that was the original one that Pickles the dog found <laughs> back in uh, back yeah. in the day. All right. Well, the, well, well, who's going to lift the very boringly titled World Cup trophy then? <laughs> uh, in t- I don't know. In terms of obvious ones, obviously, you know, people will be up there. France and uh, and the likes. Spain, Spain. If well, if Spain find the way to go without passing it around for seventy minutes a game. Um, they they're still in with a shout. Um, I'm not so sure about Belgium. I think they'll they'll sort of tail away a little bit. A lot of them are over thirty now, and this, the golden generation's fading a little bit. And the guys that are coming through aren't just aren't as good, basically, especially the uh, the defenders. Um, I think Brazil will be will be really strong, um, and possibly Argentina as well, with it being Mas- uh, Messi's last. Mm. Big shot at a, at, um, at a, uh, a major tournament with with Argentina because all these one is the Copa America, aren't they? So I think he'll be super motivated for it. I'm I'm tempted to say that the 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 teams that are coming from hotter climates will do better. For example, Brazil because Qatar's going to be ridiculously hot and sweaty. But and only humid. some of Brazil is hot. <laughs> I mean, some of it's really cold. Well, yeah. And some of the altitude's very different. It's difficult to know how the climate in Qatar is going to affect things, because one, the... Yeah, the no one's ever been, have they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's not. It, it's probably not going to benefit Middle Eastern countries who qualify. Qatar aren't going to romp home to the semi-finals, for example, yeah, are they? Yeah. So it's not a European-based World Cup. It's not a South American-based World Cup, which kind of makes it more of a level playing field, doesn't it? Yeah, um, for example, Qatar. I'm just looking at their their previous their their fixtures they've been playing recently. Two uh, two with Azerbaijan three days ago. Four uh, nil defeat to Serbia. Four nil defeat to Ireland. Three <laughs> nil defeat to Portugal, and a one nil draw with Luxembourg. So they're not getting out of the group stage. No. Let's uh, let's get that straight. Um, unless they appear to get out of the group stage. Ooh, conspiracy. Um, but yeah, you know that they're gonna. They're going to really struggle. Um, we'll, I'm just, I, yeah, I can't see England winning it purely because I think the the culture change will be too much, and um, the the fact that it's halfway through a season doesn't help. You don't know how they're going to react. You don't know how other leagues are going to react as well, other nations. But I just don't see us do, don't see us dealing with it very well. Um, if we take any ginger guys, they're all knackered. They're all going to get sunstroke um, <laughs> within within about a day. Um, so yeah, I, I can't see England going all the way, unfortunately. What about you, Ian? Who do you fancy from the teams that have qualified, or maybe the teams that are going to go through the qualifiers? I know Italy are going through the qualifiers despite winning the Euros, and Roberto Mancini's being very bullish on that. He's saying not only will Italy get to the World Cup, Italy will win the World mm. Cup. But do you agree with him, or are you backing someone else? Well, I mean, uh, it's unlike Italy to be to be quite confident uh, going into these tournaments, isn't it? When they haven't even qualified yet. Um, I think well, I know what Marley's saying, re England, but I think. If England are ever going to win a World Cup, this is probably the best chance in terms of the where where that the team is at now, the experience we've had. Got to the um, the semi final of the last World Cup, got to the final of the the Euros, of course, uh, and now straight into a, into a World Cup. And yes, the climate is going to be warm, but the matches are going to be in the evening, so it's still going to be baking hot. Don't get me wrong, uh, but um, it, you know. I, I, where we're at as a team right now on this cycle, I think this is it for us because another four years, the players are going to be uh, moving on a little bit. 
are they going to be at their peak? Some of them will be, but some of the players that are in the side right now, this is it for them. I don't want to put pressure on them in, in any way. I just think it's it's where we're at. And I think England uh, will be at their best next year. So I think it's our best chance. Will we win it? Probably not. It's, uh, this is it, the English thing. We always get our hopes up. We always think we're going to win and this is our year and however many years I've hurt it is now. I've lost count and need an abacus. But, um, yeah, I think this is the chance if we're going to take it. Um, that said... Um, I think uh, I agree with Marley. I think Brazil are quietly bubbling along uh, nicely. You know, they've got a very strong side. Um, they're getting back. They've been down, uh, you know, down the bottom, uh, the doldrums, really, as far as Brazil are concerned. They haven't had the greatest time over the last couple of years, but Brazil are back to playing like Brazil can. And, uh, you know, as you say, that a lot of those players are used to playing in warmer climates. Um, if they can acclimatise well to it, I think Brazil will be... Um, hard to stop. Um, for an outsider, well, uh, where would we go? As an outsider, and it would be it would be an outsider because I don't even think they're going to qualify. But I think Portugal, maybe. They always seem to do well at tournaments, don't they? You know, that's the thing. They get up for the tournaments and they do nothing the rest of the time. But um, yeah, I think I, mm. I would think them as an outsider. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, um, and then. Leeds might end up having a World Cup winner in Rafinha because he's a regular for Brazil now if they hang on to him that long. I mean, that's probably pushing it a little bit, but you never know. A World Cup with Brazil playing well is the best type of World Cup. Everyone needs to see that happening. I should probably mm. mention that we didn't mention any of the African teams as well. The African deciders haven't been worked out yet. I'm a bit confused about how it works, but I think there are five qualification places for the African nations, which are decided by five two-legged playoff matches. They won't take place till March, but that means five from Egypt, Algeria, Cameroon, Congo, Ghana, Mali, Morocco, Nigeria, Senegal and Tunisia will all be at the World Cup. It is difficult to see any of those teams upsetting the apple carts too much at the moment, though. I mean, you said... I'm fully on the Mali train, for obvious reasons. <laughs> I will be wearing a, a Marley shirt all How through will you be, December next year. Will you have Marley written on the back of your Marley shirt? Hundred percent. Good. Yeah. Good. Good. Good to see. I'm looking forward to seeing that next <laughs> winter. Um, you mentioned England at the moment, Ian, and they are the most successful England team that most of us have ever seen. They got to the semis of the last World Cup, albeit not playing particularly well. Got to the finals of the Euro through some. Very good game management on Southgate's part, I thought, in terms of how he approached that tournament. But how good is this England eleven? Now, my England team, my golden generation, is the Skulls, Beckham, Gerrard England team. But I look at this England team and go, they've done more, they've achieved more than that team did. Is this lot better than that lot? Yes, I think. Um, just because I think that... <laughs> That generation, and this is something that uh, Gareth Southgate gets criticised for. Um, he Gareth Southgate plays the players he thinks are right for the job. And did we always do that in that era with Beckham and Scholes and Gerrard and all that? Because there was plenty of players mm. there that they were called this golden generation, but a lot of it was just on reputation. And you could name the team. And it was kind of good in a way because we'd gone through this period where, I mean, you know, Sven was like changing players more than his underpants. And uh, we, we didn't know who was going to necessarily be in the England team. He gave so many caps out. Um, but then we got to this point where you knew that what the midfield was going to be and it was going to be Skulls, 
Beckham, Gerard, Lampard and whoever. So and that was good, but quite often those players were, you know, absolute shoe-ins and it it firstly didn't give um an element of competition because those players knew they were going to be playing and they didn't actually do it when it came to the main tournaments. They all did brilliantly for their clubs at the time, but did they deliver when it when it mattered, you know, when it came to World Cups and European Cups and stuff? They mm. got through the qualifiers all right, but it was the same old, same old once we got to these major tournaments. And that perhaps inability to play differently cost us. And for all the people that go on about Gareth Southgate and how he's boring and he's not good enough to manage, um, uh, uh, you know, any any league club of last week when because uh, I had a few tweets about what I said last week saying that I think he would now be a brilliant manager for a club is that he he does change the game he does change the team and and not just formation but personnel as we saw and make some big calls like when he put mm. um, Grealish on and then brought him off 10 minutes later if that you know that was because that was right for the team at that moment and it, it's brave to do that and and You've got to manage who you're playing against at that moment. It's no point saying, well, these players are great on paper, but if they're actually not doing it in front of your eyes or, they're not, or that line that's not right in front of your eyes, then you've got to change it. And, and he is quite brave to do that. And so for that reason, no, I, mm. think, that, I think that our players now, um, football has clearly changed slightly in, in style, but I think the players now are more versatile. I think they're, they're more all-rounders. And yes, they've got their preferred positions, but they can all play in each other's positions. And that is the key. That's the magic. Um, whereas before, you know, could you imagine, um, you know, someone like David Beckham leap, leaping back into defence and then playing next to attack? He was always mm. on the wing. You know, so I think that the, the, the players now are more switchable, versatile, and uh, I think a stronger unit together than, than we had previously. So... No, I think that if, we're, if we've got a golden generation, it's now. I don't want to put that pressure on them because then they're trying to live up to it. But, you know, we are, we are, we are in, a, in a good era at the minute. And why can't we win? Why can't we win something? Mm. I've got to admit, my gut says the England players that we have now are better than the England players during that era. But then I look at the England squad, Marley, back in those days and go, how many of those players would just walk into the current team? When you look at the centre-backs of Rio Ferdinand, John Terry, Sol Campbell, midfield of Frank Lampard, <laughs> Gerrard, you've got Wayne Rooney, Michael Owen, probably full-backs, the current crop, you'd say. You'd still take Ashley Cole over them, though. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? So is it, does it come down to, as Ian says, adaptability and management? So if that England golden generation had had Gareth Southgate as the manager, <laughs> would they have waltzed to a World Cup final? Uh no, I think it's about um the, I think it's about the the modern game being there's not it's the the best thing for like that that squad in 2004 2005 whatever it was 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 better man for man. Um the first 11 was better. I think uh the goalkeeper was probably the weak part but it's arguably our weaker part now so that hasn't really changed. Um I feel like the the biggest thing with this England team is the togetherness of the of the squad, and I think that's a, a reflection of the 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 sort of era we're in with football now. You see, rivalries kind of slipping away. They're still there, but after the Manchester derby, you see Maguire and Stones hugging each other and doing handshakes and having a little chat. 
you wouldn't have seen that in the mid two thousands. You'd have seen uh, Vieira and Keane like trying to smash each other for ninety minutes, then trying to smash each other for another ten in the dressing room <laughs> before they got on the bus home. And that, I mean, the the players of that era have talked at the time about this toxic atmosphere in in training where if you know Gerard and Lampard didn't work together very well because of the club rivalry it was Chelsea versus Liverpool and then there was a Man United um heavy Man United influence in that squad as well with with Beckham and with uh with Scholes and with Rooney in the later days and and things like that so i feel like this team is much better because it's it's just together it might not be as the sum of its individual parts might not be as good as it once was but the the fact that they're all pulling in the same direction is something that you can't take for take for granted um and it's sort of rare to have that and that's why in my opinion England have gone to the uh, Euros final and the World Cup semi final uh, and the Nations League uh, last four as well so i think that's the most important thing in a, in a team environment um and that's how you get results and that's why England are in this sort of golden generation without it being called a golden generation and, and Southgate is the is a good fit for nurturing that um, that sort of feeling in the squad. You heard it here first. Marley and Ian both backing England to win the World Cup in Qatar <laughs> and if they don't win it's going to be Marley. <laughs> I think that was the general consensus there. <laughs> well, um, can, can I um, say though that this time last week we were saying that um, we were saying that uh, Harry Kane wasn't good enough to play for England currently, and since then he scored seven goals and uh, become <laughs> one the of the all-time top goal scorers. So you know, there, you know, anything can happen. Anything can happen from what we say. January transfer window is just round the corner. We're currently on the seventeenth of November, so just over a month until the window opens and the transfer window rumours are hotting up. We'll take a look at some of the spiciest next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to the final part of Football Social Daily. Going to have a very quick look at some of the transfer rumours that are doing the rounds. Going to start off at Mundo Deportivo in Spain, who are reporting that Real Madrid will try and sign Kylian Mbappe in January. This is a rumour that's been doing the rounds for a while. Sorry, we'll not try and sign him in January and instead are going to look to bring him over in the summer and the 22-year-old is out of contract with PSG in the summer so could get him for a free, which won't do PSG any favours, but obviously will help the Real Madrid finances and their current situation with a complete lack of cash. Do you think this one's going to happen, Marley? Do you think we're going to see Mbappe heading over to the Spanish League considering the financial trouble that we see in La Liga at the moment, or do you think this could be an opportunity for the Premier League to potentially sweep in and get one of the world's best players? Maybe even Manchester City. They're looking for a striker at the moment. Could he fit in there? Uh, I think this is pretty much nailed on. He'll go to Real Madrid. I think he, you know, there's been um, pictures and quotes of, of things in the past that he's, you know, like when he's growing up, he idolised Zidane. Uh, and Cristiano Ronaldo as well, both when they were at Real Madrid. Um, he's met Zidane. Apparently, I think Zidane um, drove him to Real Madrid training one day or something. There's, there's some sort of story about that going around again when he was about 14. And I think it's always been sort of his dream to play for Real Madrid. And I, f- I feel like you, you, you'd you be very surprised if he ended up anywhere else. Um, interestingly, I did hear from 
an, another quote by the absolute ball bag that is Florentino <laughs> Perez um, today. And he said, this is his quote, we offered 200 million to PSG for Mbappe and they rejected it. State-owned clubs don't want to sell their players. It's easier to get them as free agents when their contracts are over. And then that is exactly what Florentino Perez is doing by waiting to the summer. Yeah. So, so with his with his club. So it's almost like it's just another pointless quote coming out of his ancient old decrepit mouth. Um, he's just an absolute idiot. But they, I think they are going to get Mbappe. I think that's their the reason why they've um, been pretty quiet in the transfer window of the last three years. Um, you're looking at this summer and saying Bale's probably going to leave, so there's a, a massive chunk of wages coming back. Mm. Uh, Hazard might leave as well. Cruz might leave. Uh, Modric is getting older, so you're talking this new generation of Real Madrid that they're trying to launch right now, and I think Mbappe is going to be central to that. Um, and I wouldn't even put it past them to, to try and get Erling Haaland if he doesn't go this summer. Maybe try and get him next summer or something like that. But um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But I definitely see Mbappe being at Real Madrid um, by the summer. Are we heading to Real Madrid being the dominant force again in Spanish football, considering the situation that Barcelona find themselves in? And Barcelona won't be bailed out by the Spanish government. Real Madrid probably will. So they'll, they're not going to lose their financial power instantly. No, it's... Uh, it's well, yeah, you've summed it up pretty well, I think. They, there's even talks of like clubs, uh, sorry, companies trying to pay, um, trying to give Barcelona money to to tide them over, and it's like they're never gonna f- fall away, but something will happen, mm. um, and they'll they'll be back where they once were sooner rather than later, straddled with an absolute incomprehensible amount of debt, um, but that's how football is. They'll mm. just carry on being the juggernaut they are, and. It'll be Real Madrid and, and Barcelona back to normal soon, um, but we'll see. We'll see with what teams because there's there's a lot of work to do to both squads. But Mbappe is a decent start for Real Madrid, to be fair. Returning to the Premier League for a second, Ian, and we're going to talk about former Chelsea boss Frank Lampard, who doesn't seem to want a job at the moment. He spoke to Aston Villa, spoke to Norwich City, didn't get or didn't want either of those jobs because apparently, according to Eurosport, he's hanging on for the Leicester City job in the off chance that Brendan Rodgers replaces Solskjaer at Manchester United, where it feels like an unlikely chain of events that he's banking a lot on. Does Lampard just need to get back behind the wheel of a manager's job now? Has he even earned his stripes? Because Derby County, he did okay at Derby County. He qualified for the playoffs, but they had the best team in the championship, arguably, at that time. Chelsea, he started really well, and we were quite glowing about his early stages at Chelsea and how he was invigorating all this young English talent, but we know what happened there. So does he, I mean, he seems to expect, and we're projecting a lot onto him, he seems to expect to walk into a big job here. But is he of that status as a manager yet? Is Leicester City still potentially too big for him? I think it probably is now. Because I think with with Leicester, there's also a certain... um, ethos if you like that goes with the club you know it's quite a family club they've got a certain way of doing things I'm not sure that entirely fits in with how Frank would want to go about things let's not forget that Frank Lampard did all right at Derby County um, and I mentioned at the start with with a team that has effectively been docked over 20 points for for Mm. how the club was run at the time so that 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 is going back to that era um and then, as you not say, not a good legacy, that is it. Well, no, it's not. And so, yeah, all right, he did all right at Derby County, but he had an unfair advantage because the club was being mm. run 
in a, in a different way to, to his competitors, which is ironic because they were the club telling their competitors that they were running their clubs wrong. So anyway, that's Derby. <laughs> it's, it's quite sweet. Uh, enjoy League One. Um, so, but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but, but beyond that, no, I don't think he has really earned his stripes. And, he, he, and we talked about Frank Lampard last week, actually, when I was on. And, and you two guys weren't on with me at the same time, so uh, you, know, you, you won't remember. But I, 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 was, I was saying about how he tended at Derby County to get bogged down in, in, in sideshows, you know, in, in stuff that wasn't important, really, like complaining about Leeds United celebrating too much, you know, like complaining about somebody peering through the hedge, you know. All this kind of stuff was, was a major thing to him. But he wasn't actually, was he putting that amount of effort into how much he was preparing for his games? Mm. Don't know that. So uh, that, uh, he does tend to get bogged down in these, these little things that, are, uh, you know, most managers would just go, whatevs. You know, whereas he's sort of it's tended, at least at that, in that period, to get bogged down in it. I don't think he has any stripes, you know, and you see people like um, Patrick Vieira now, who's doing pretty well, has to be said, at, at Crystal Palace. And, you know, I think he would benefit from going to a club like that. You know, Norwich obviously was a very tricky job to take because, you know, it's, it's a thankless task in a way and that he probably hasn't got the resources to get them out of it. And, and does he want to be the manager that took Norwich down? Because, you know, it's going to be a very, very um, tough task. I think Dean Smith might have a chance of doing it. I don't think uh, maybe Frank Lampard was the right kind of guy for that particular task. But as you say, it's a funny one. He kind of wants to be a manager of a big club, but he hasn't really got the experience to be a manager of a big club because he hasn't done it with a smaller club. And I think it's that whole catch-22 of having to prove yourself, but he doesn't maybe necessarily think he needs to prove himself because he's Frank Lampard. And, you know, maybe taking the Rangers job like... um, you know, like Gerard did, would be would be a good thing. You know, a job in Scotland, maybe not even Rangers, but another big club in Scotland where you've you've got the prestige, but not necessarily the level of competition, if you know what I mean. But you can you can still certainly gain your credentials that then brings you back to a top Premier League club. Um, you know, I, I I would think that the Rangers job would would be a good thing for Frank Lampard. I'm not so sure Leicester City would be. It's a really interesting suggestion and comparison with Patrick Vieira because. Frank Lampard has those Manchester City connections and Manchester City has teams all over the world where a manager can earn their stripes, can get their coaching experience, can work with maybe less experienced players, bring them through and he's chosen not to take that so far. We'll have to wait and see what happens in the future but it certainly seems that he has got his eye on one of the big jobs. We're going to return to Newcastle now, Marley. Newcastle via Spain because Sport, the football magazine in Spain, is talking about Philippe Coutinho, who's been linked with Newcastle United for a while. Rumours that he potentially could join in January. Apparently, he said he's got no intention of leaving Barcelona. Doesn't want to come to Newcastle. Firstly, is Coutinho just hanging on for a paycheck here? Because he's not getting playing time at Barcelona. And is this going to be a potential issue that Newcastle face in January, maybe even in the summer? They've got the cash to spend, but they're just going to struggle to recruit those players of note for... Various reasons. They, they haven't got the draw of London. They can pay the wages, but they haven't got the maybe status that they should have on world football. They haven't got a manager as good as Eddie Howe is for Newcastle United. They haven't got a manager who's got that status either that can attract players like maybe uh, Ancelotti could have done. Mm. Um, I, 
I understand your point. Um, with Coutinho, he always seems like a summer signing to me. I can't see him leaving in January with with Xavi just coming in. Um, he was in the Brazil squad last night, which I, I actually was thought it? He'd, I thought it slipped out of it. But he was in he was in the Brazil team um, against Argentina last night for the World Cup qualifiers, and I think he he would be daft to leave six weeks after Xavi came in because he might get back into contention there. So why would you not stay and and give you give yourself the rest of the season to try and force your way into the plans? And then if if, if Xavi turns around at the end of the season and says, right, I don't need you. Then he can start looking for for other, um, other clubs and and other challenges, and maybe at that point Newcastle have stayed in the Premier League and are looking to to push on with like glamour signings and stuff, and maybe that that's a a chance there. But that's eight months down the line or six seven months down the line, whatever it might be. Um, so for that one, I'd I'd uh, I'd park that until the summer. I'm not even sure if Eddie Howe or Newcastle would want him um, in terms of. His age and his wages and everything is—is is it right it's a for the club? Signing, isn't it? Though it's one of those, it's a signal yeah. of intent. Yeah, and I, I, but I, I even feel like his. Even if you buy him, you know, people will be like, "Don't be like, oh my god, they've got Coutinho. They're gonna be very, very good. They're gonna be like, oh, they've got Coutinho. Is he as good as what he was at Liverpool mm. seven years ago? So, you know what I mean? It's it's not a, a cut and dry. He's gonna win your games type of thing, even though he's still got the talent to, but. In terms of like other players and, and buying players and attracting them, like I, I don't see why that it shouldn't be an issue. Uh, every foreign player needs to get over the fact that London's this amazing place with the, you know, it's the the be all and end all of the UK. Like it's not, it's not that good. Like <laughs> it's not that this metropolis of amazing places. Like there's other like good places to live like don't do what Maxwell Corney did and, and swap France for Burnley like, don't go that far <laughs> but but you know Newcastle's a, an, like it's an amazing city like the 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 sense of like um belonging you get from from moving there is is insane and the the fans and everything is is different to what it is in London where if you walk down the street and pass 10 people one will support Arsenal three will support Chelsea two will support Spurs and there'll be a sad looking fellow supporting West Ham um but in Newcastle, everyone's about you, and I think that's a huge pull um, for people who understand um, the club and things like that. And that's where you've got to ride that balance of like paying people a lot of money to play for you, but also understanding what it means to be part of something where the the bigger sort of picture is winning things and and challenging for things. Um, but the the right here and now is working hard and and becoming a better player. And things like that. So I can see us actually signing quite a few domestic players mm. um, first, and then if we attract bigger names and 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 what have you in the future, then so be it. What they need is you going round to each of these players' houses and explaining <laughs> the significance of Liverpool and the, the significance of Newcastle and the importance of playing for the club and the brilliance of the city. Yeah, I'll I'll do that. I'll I'll go around and personally explain to every one of our transfer targets why London is not worth it. <laughs> And I paid four pounds for London. A, I paid it's four. Not p- that good. Yeah. I was in London this weekend. Just gone. I went to visit some friends, and in Euston Station on the way back to Manchester, bought a sausage roll, vegetarian sausage roll. Cost me four quid. <laughs> four quid for a sausage oh, roll. It's, it's an absolute you know rip off, isn't it? I can even I can go one worse than that, and it, it's not even London, which I think makes it worse. Manchester Piccadilly Station. Um, there's a there's a bar above it. I think it's called like the Station Bar or something. Um, we went in there when I was going up for my stag do about a month ago 
and um, a pint of Strongbow Dark Fruits was... <laughs> Have I told you this? <laughs> no. I guess, have a guess how much it was. Uh, I, I've, do you know what? I, I couldn't even tell you how much a pint of Strongbow Dark Fruit should be. Right, well, it should be I'm between four and five pounds. But in the, in this station bar, it was £6.79. That does sound punchy. And I was like... Was it craft Strongbow Dark Fruit? Unbelievable. <laughs> I, I nearly fainted. I'm, I- so I, I love uh, the idea of having your stag do in a in a in a pub in in Piccadilly <laughs> Station. It sounds like it's off the scale. <laughs> well, I was on the way up to Newcastle, where everything was considerably oh, right, cheap. <laughs> you don't just have it right, in the station, Ian. Jesus Christ! I, was, I, was I know say, you're I from Sunderland, say, I mean, but I didn't know you were that dumb. <laughs> I mean, I mean, in in Sunderland, I mean they've they've even knocked down Milligan's the Bakers, so there's nothing in Sunderland Station. So you, you know you would never have it there. So. <laughs> <laughs> what would a pint of Strongbow Dark Fruits and a sausage roll set you back in Newcastle then, Marley? Oh, about three fifty all in. Or I would say if you go to the right places, there you go. that's what you want. To, that's your opener for. And Coutinho, that is why Coutinho <laughs> needs to come to Newcastle. Yeah, there we go. Uh, and on that pitch, we will leave it there for Football Social Daily. Thank you very much for listening. Cheers, Ian. Thank you. Cheers. Nice one, Marley. Cheers, guys. You can hit follow on this podcast now because there is a new episode every single day. It will keep you up to date with the latest Premier League news. And if you want to get microscopic on your club news as well, you can find short form audio updates and written updates on the latest news for every Premier League team at the website sport-social.co.uk along with a link where you can find the Sport Social Podcast Network and your next favourite sport podcast, whatever that sport might be. Have a great one. I'll see you soon. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.